0: practical way for us to be involved in a solution uh, getting clean water to uh, people in Africa and um, solving a problem that a lot of young girls face and you know back when we did team world vision it was about the runners doing the fundraising and now you don't have to raise it's just about if you register that's all you need to do one registration that helps solve a problem. So it's really simple, and anyone can be involved. And just, just before I dismiss Bridge Kids, just before, um, I want to encourage everyone to think about um, the evangelistic basic training that's happening today. You know, we focused uh, several weeks on the road to redemption and how important the gospel of Jesus Christ is. And this is just a simple way, a simple tool that helps all of us be able to share the good news. It's just really practical. It's simple. It's for everyday people. You know, you don't have to be a preacher, okay? And I uh, just want to encourage people to think about that. Okay, Bridge Kids, you are dismissed. Thank you for joining us today. We're starting a new series that I'm very excited about in the book of Philippians, and it's called Rise Above Your Circumstances. And today we're going to be talking about uh, partnership for the gospel, partners for the gospel in the first 11 verses of chapter one. I recently read about a British radio host who found a unique way to pass time during the pandemic lockdown in London. When Sam Darleston got home from shopping, he opened his shopping bag and pulled out the broccoli, and he found a fuzzy caterpillar on the broccoli. Now, instead of, um, you know, like, executing the intruder, he decided to take care of it. Um, he, right away he did some research and he, and he determined what kind of caterpillar this was and what kind of butterfly it might become. Next he made a little home for his guest in the living room and he supplied it with all the broccoli it could eat. Then he named the caterpillar Cedric. Then Darlison went back to the store and he bought more broccoli to replace some of the broccoli that he'd used up and he'd given to Cedric and was planning to give to Cedric and guess what? He got home with five more Caterpillars. I don't know where they get their broccoli but it's Caterpillar Rich. And not only that, Darleston's roommate bought some broccoli, brought it home and it too had a Caterpillar. So now he's raising seven Caterpillars in his living room. And, um, and over time and over several tweets, Darleston tells the story um, of how uh, these caterpillars, uh, one by one, became a chrysalis and then a cocoon. And then eventually, one by one, each of them became a butterfly and they flew away. And at the end of the time, he, he was very sad to see his friends leave. But also, he was really happy because somebody uh, gets to go out on the town during this lockdown, and it wouldn't be him. That may be a silly story, but when you think about it, we too have a a caretaker, Um, just like those caterpillars had. Our God is watching over us, and he's providing for our needs. He's caring for us. He's working in us. And he is transforming us to grow as Christ followers. One day there will be a sense too that we will fly away and we will meet Jesus face to face. But right now, right now, he is working in us and he's working to transform us and change us and, and not let us stay the same because he, he wants us to become more like his son. Jesus Christ. He wants us to keep growing. The Apostle Paul saw that happening in the Philippian church, in the believers there, and he could see their growth, and he could see this transformation process. And he sends a letter to them. He writes the book of Philippians. And we're going to begin uh, in verses uh, 1 and 2, where we see Paul writing to friends. And the tone of the book is much different than some of the books in the New Testament. This is a warm, friendly, uh, informal letter expressing Paul's emotions and his love for these people. It's It's a letter, we see in verse one. It was a handwritten letter. When was the last time you last wrote a handwritten letter? Now, some of you maybe last week. Some of you maybe never. Or a long time ago. You know, Paul wasn't able to text. He couldn't post this on social media. And he didn't even have that old-fashioned form of email. He had to handwrite a letter. And it had to be sent by a courier. It was another Christ follower. Personally carried 800 miles because this letter is coming from Rome and it's going to a city in Macedonia Philippi We see in verse 1 Paul and Timothy servants of Christ this is who the letter is from and that's the that's the custom of the day in the first century somebody who wrote the letter instead of putting their name at the end sincerely Paul and Timothy their names come at the very beginning. Now, who is Paul? Now, a lot of you know who Paul is, but sometimes we throw around names and and we know somehow they're important, but we don't know exactly, you know, how they fit into this whole story of the Bible. Let me tell you a little bit about Paul. Paul And by the way, it's Paul and Timothy, and Paul is speaking, and Timothy is recording, and Timothy is the stenographer of this letter. Paul was an apostle. That is, he was appointed by Christ to be a very important leader in the early church. He was a Jewish man, and he was raised in a Gentile city, a Gentile being a non-Jewish city and he was a pharisee he was a religious a conservative religious leader it meant he took the old testament scriptures very seriously and literally Um, but he also uh, persecuted the church and um, he took his training so literally he thought christianity was blasphemous And he thought Christianity were heretics and the enemy of the church. And so he went from town to town trying to get Christians arrested and thrown in jail or having their lands confiscated. He was serious in his commitment. Before his name was Paul, he was called Saul, Saul of Tarsus. Tarsus in Syria was where he was from, where he was born. Saul of Tarsus. That's his Jewish name, Saul. But in the Roman Empire, his name was Paul. It was a Gentile name. That's what a Gentile would call him. And Paul operated in all of those spheres, and so um, he is called both. But primarily after he became a follower of Christ, and and I've just now left that out, the story is in Acts 9. Paul, this enemy of Christ, is radically changed in Acts 9, um, and he becomes a fully committed Christ follower, and he is all in for Jesus. And, And after that time, he starts to become called Paul, the apostle Paul appointed personally by Jesus. Let's talk about Timothy. Who was Timothy? Timothy was a younger man in Paul. He meets Paul in Acts 16. And Paul takes him under his wing and he mentors him. And um, Timothy becomes a, a, a colleague of Paul, and he's a traveling companion as they start new churches throughout the Mediterranean area uh, in the Roman Empire. And then later, Timothy will become the pastor of the church. At Ephesus. Now, right now, uh, he's still uh, he's a, he's a missionary with Paul, and Timothy, too, is a radical follower of Jesus. Another thing that we, we need to see is this designation here. They are called servants of Christ, they call themselves servants of Christ. A fair translation would be to say they're calling themselves slaves of Christ. But what we don't see here in this word that's used, do loss, it's a very good term because this is a voluntary choice on their part. They have chosen to be bondservants of Jesus Christ. Um, they understand the exchanged life, they understand that Jesus gave his all to them for them when he died on the cross. And now they have chosen to give their all back to him. And Jesus was their master, and they were privileged to be called his servants. And wherever the master led, or whatever he wanted, it was their job to follow him, to follow his leadership. They didn't ask the question, Am I going to obey? That was not their question. The question is, Lord, what do you want me to do? Because I will do it. I am your servant. What is it that you want? Question for us is, when we think about applying this, is this a fitting term for you and for me? Would it be fitting for us to, be, to call ourselves servants of Christ? Yes, we can say we're believers, but are we servants of Christ? That is, Are we all in? Do we we get this lordship of Christ? He gave us everything, and he wants us to give him everything and live under his leadership as servants for Christ. Next we see who the letter is written to in verse 1 to God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi together with the overseers and deacons. So, this is who the letter is written to. All God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi. Holy people, who are they? They're believers. Uh, Some translations say all the saints who are at Philippi. Who are the saints? They're believers. Are you a saint? Are you a holy person? And that concept is a simple one, and you know today it's, it's very confused, and it's misused, and people get the idea, well, we know that there is a church that canonizes saints or people who've had some kind of godly past, and if they get enough attention about their lives for, for being really wonderful Christians, that they could be elected to become a saint, as, a, as if they're way more important than anybody else. That's not what the Bible talks about when they talk about a saint. A saint is a person who is set apart for God. A saint is someone who has placed their faith in Jesus Christ. They've been cleansed of their sins spiritually, and now they're set apart to serve Jesus. Now they're ready. Now they're fitting to be able to serve Christ. That's all it means. And when you place your faith in Christ, God made you a saint. He made you a holy person. Now one of our problems is is that we can mess that up because we get involved in sin and sin contaminates the whole thing. And that's one of the reasons why we we celebrate communion is because we have to stop and remember and we need to examine our lives and make sure that our sin is confessed and we're turning from our sin. And then we can be cleansed. And one of the great things about communion is, is that the whole church can have that experience at once if it's not so, on the, on the minute that you walked in today. To be holy, to be a saint. Are you comfortable? Would you say you're holy right now? Do you see yourself as a saint? Because one of the problems is we often see ourselves as sinners, and God sees us primarily as a saint. If we see ourselves primarily as sinner, guess what? That's where we're going to hang out. If, if I see myself primarily, it's what God intended. He, he sees me as his saint, and I, you know what? I need to think about how I behave. I need to have a lifestyle that's more fitting with what God has called me. All God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi. I think it's worthy of a map, okay? Philippi, this helps so here is the new testament world if you look down at the right hand corner that's jerusalem that's where jesus was crucified we've been there for nine weeks on the road to redemption you see some of the other new testament cities up above is colossi that colossian church to the left is ephesians to the left of that is corinth for the corinthians Thessalonica for the Thessalonians, and way off to the Rome. That's about as far from Jerusalem as you could get in the first century when you think about how far from God can you get, all the way to Rome. But then you see Philippi up above. That's in the, it's in Macedonia, and uh, that's where Paul, uh, to the group of people where he's writing. Paul is in Rome, and he is writing 800 miles away and this letter had to be hand delivered a couple things about philippi um, it was named after king philip of macedonia well who's king philip he was the father of alexander the great some of you know that name he was a greek world leader and about the fourth century before christ And so Philip was his father, and this city is named after him. It's also a Roman colony. Now, this is what makes it really distinct, and it does affect the letter. Um, Macedonia is not in Italy, where Rome is, but Macedonia is in the Roman Empire. And there were some cities that were specially designated as free cities. And those cities, people would become citizens of Rome. That was really important. And the way Rome did this was they colonized the city of Philippi with Roman military. Often retired military were given land there, encouraging them to settle there. And that was really good for politics, to have the Roman Roman, ex-Roman military present and understanding the Roman ways and the Roman laws. And that if you were born in that city, you would be a citizen of the Roman Empire and have all the rights and benefits that go with it. Let's go on. This letter was also written to the overseers and the deacons. A couple of words about overseers. Um, The word for overseers is episkopos, not trying to impress you. It's the same word translated bishops. Bishop, these guys could be called bishops. Bishops. And it's, it's, a, it's synonymous with the word for elder. Overseer and bishop are the same thing. The Roman word, actually a Greek word, episkopos, is a word used in the Roman Empire. The, the Gentile people got it. This is somebody important. He has responsibility to oversee. In the Jewish word, the term for elder, would have been presbuteros, and it just means elder, and that, that fit with their culture. And so one of the things we see, the Apostle Paul uh, responding with cultural sensitivity to the groups of people that he's trying to reach. Philippi is a Roman Roman city, and so uh, he refers to the leaders there as overseers. And then the deacons um, the word is diakinos and it means servant that's all it means but it's a different word than Paul will use for himself and Timothy as servants of Christ Um, and it also can be translated ministers or ministers of Christ the deacons were ministers their job was not to meet in a board called the board of deacons their job was to assist the elders or the overseers in the work of taking care of the needs of the church we see the form of the letter is a very common type in the first century roman world but the apostle paul brings a fresh christian perspective with christian truth the greeting is verse two grace and peace to you from god our father the lord jesus christ grace refers to god's unmerited favor when a person places their faith in Christ, it is by grace. And they rec- we receive grace. We, rec- we receive something we don't deserve, something we can't earn. We receive our salvation. It's by grace. And then Paul uses this term peace peace is the result of grace. We have peace with God. Peace, uh, grace comes first, and then peace is the result. We are no longer at enmity with God. Now, Paul continues this idea of cultural sensitivity. Grace is a Gentile form of greeting, the non-Jewish greeting in the Roman world. Peace is a Jewish greeting. And and Paul is connecting with both worlds. And he had to do that all of the time uh, in his ministry. Verses 3 through 8, we see Paul remembers uh, the Philippians. He's remembering friends. And so he reflects on his past relationship with the Philippian believers that began in Acts 16. Uh, He starts with thanksgiving in verse 3. He says, I thank my God every time I remember you. You know, we hear that in Acts. Do you thank God every time you hear the name of another Christian? By the way, Paul didn't do that every time either. But he does when he writes the Philippians because he has nothing but fond memories of their love and commitment to Christ. Paul never spoke that way to the Corinthians. Paul spoke correction and firm truth when he wrote the Corinthians the same was true when he wrote the Galatians he didn't say I thank my God every time I think of you but he did when he when he thought of the Philippians he's grateful for this young vibrant church that is now about 10 years old he he thinks about how they were once far from God but now they are growing followers of Jesus and he just gives thanks and 10 years earlier in Acts 16, it started with Lydia, the seller of purple. And Paul went and met some Jewish ladies in pra- uh, coming together for prayer. And Lydia, just she wanted to know. And Paul was able to lead her to faith. And, and Lydia invited Paul to come and stay at, at her house. She was probably a person of resources. And then there was the Philippian jailer. And the, and the entire Philippian jailer's family came to faith. And that was the beginning of this church. And the church began to grow. And Paul continues remembering in verses 4 and 5 with joyful prayer. Look at, look at verses 4 and 5. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy, with joy because of your partnership in the gospel. From the first day, From that very first day until now, you have been a partner, and and the word that Paul uses there is "koinonia" for partnership, and uh, it's sometimes translated fellowship. But we get we it's the way we use fellowship in our culture; it, it doesn't really fit. But partnership of the gospel really does fit well. Um, when he prays, he prays with joy because of this. Partnership. Um, they were on the same page with the Apostle Paul they were on the same mission they had the same heart they, they wanted to advance the gospel they wanted to honor God they, they wanted to see people follow Christ they were with Paul on this they had this partnership with Paul and we have a partnership like that we may have a ways to go before we're maybe like the Philippian church. I don't know. But the Philippian church, um, they prayed for Paul. They, they, uh, they encouraged Paul. They sent financial gifts. Recently, they had sent a very large financial gift to support Paul. And, and Paul is responding back just with tremendous thanksgiving for their continued ongoing Support. You support the bridge financially. That's a partnership. When we pray for each other to advance the gospel, that's the that's a partnership. When we seek to encourage one another, that's a partnership. Um, We have a partnership with the gospel for our missionaries. We support uh, missionaries on campus with crew, with. Um, Navigators, with InterVarsity. That's a partnership. Uh, Some of you are praying for those staff. Some of you are supporting financially. The bridge is supporting uh, financially as well. That's That's a partnership. It's a relationship. It's to advance the gospel. We have a partnership with Reach Global, supporting missions in Turkey, We have a partnership with Novo. Uh, That's um, a group in Berlin with Evangelical Free Church background. And uh, it's a partnership just like this. And so Paul prays for them with joyful prayer. In verse 6, we see uh, his unshakable confidence. He prays with unshakable confidence. Look at verse 6. He says, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. The Apostle Paul is confident in God's design, in God's work, and God's plan. He knows that God has started a good work in the Philippian believers. That is, When they came to faith in Christ God gave them the gift of salvation And that was a good work that he was beginning to do Because it wasn't just getting them saved so that they go to heaven But he was beginning to help them transform To become more like his son, Jesus Christ And Paul has this confidence Because these are genuine followers of Christ It's clear to him And he knows God, and he knows what God can do and what God wants to do. And he knows that God is, he's not going to stop. He's not going to give up. He's not going to quit. And even though there are times where we go through maybe uh, times where we feel like we're in a desert spiritually or we feel dry spiritually, God hasn't, he hasn't stopped. Our experiences may feel like he has stopped, but he hasn't. And he's going to continue because he wants to see his good work. It's his good work completed in you and in me. I want to remind us from Romans chapter 28, uh, Romans chapter 8, verses 28 through 30, what the Apostle Paul uh, said earlier. He said, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him. God takes our circumstances in all things and he works for good because the Holy Spirit is in you and he wants us, he's working for good to those who love him, to those who believe who have been called according to his purpose the same group that believe for those God foreknew, the same group uh, he called and the same group that He believed, that believed he also predestined, the same group to be conformed to the image of his son. God wants you to be a spiritual butterfly. He wants you to change. He wants you to be transformed. No, not like to a butterfly, but to be like Jesus. That's his purpose. And he has begun a good work, and he's going to continue to do that, and he's going to use your circumstances. He's going to use your struggles. He's going to use the difficulties that you face. He's going to use COVID. He's going to use our health situations, which are not always perfect. Uh, He's going to use our struggles at work or our struggles at school, our struggle with family members. Who would have thought? extended family, close family. He's going to use those to mold and to sort of polish off rough rough edges because we have some rough edges still. We aren't there yet. We see that Paul also prays in verses 7 and 8 with devoted love. He says, It is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. He, he expresses how, how close that he, he feels uh, to them uh, for their partnership in the gospel. He has them in his heart. He, he feels that they're like family. He knows that they have sacrificially loved him uh, as if he were family. And then he goes on to say, And whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel... Paul now makes a reference to his own situation. He was actually in chains in Rome. That's where we leave him in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 28. He is chained to a Roman soldier. Those are his circumstances. And Paul has figured out how to rise above his circumstances. Uh, he's He's been in prison because he uh, has proclaimed Christ publicly and offended some people. And he has now been in prison for some time. We know the Roman imprisonment was two years, but he was in Ephesus in prison before that. And he says, whether I'm defending or confirming the gospel, you know what? He was even doing that when he was in prison. He had Jewish leaders come to to, in his prison to uh, speak to him, and he got to speak for Christ and defend Christ, and he led Roman soldiers to Christ. He hadn't stopped just because he didn't see himself as set aside. He was still in the battle. He says, whether I... I'm in chains defending or confirming the gospel. All of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. He longs to see them face to face. He has not been out of the house. He has been in lockdown. And he longs to see these people he loves face to face. He he can't see them he can't go to them but he can pray for them and this is what we see in verses 9 through 11 praying for friends he says and this is my prayer in verse 9 that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight he has a simple prayer it's the same thing that we need he says that your love and he uses that word agape love that's, a, that's the word of John three sixteen. for God so loved the world, sacrificial love, that this sacrificial love that God has will abound in us more and more and more and more. Now, we can't do that in our own strength. It's God's love flowing through us when we're rightly connected with Christ and walking in the power of the Holy Spirit, then His love can flow through us and we can sacrificially help and care and love people that we don't have the normal energy to do. But His love has to abound more and more. But the great thing is, it can. Uh, John thirteen thirty four and 35. This was a concept that was important to Jesus. He says, a new command I give you, love one another, as I have loved you, so that you must love one another. So he commands this to his followers. It's the same kind of love that he has, the agape love. He says, by this, everyone will know. The world will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. This was... Jesus' strategy to reach the world that God's love would flow through us to our world. When we get self-focused, we just shut off the conduit of love. It just doesn't happen through us. We just plug it all up with self. Whether it's just because we're lazy or because we don't want to or because we we just think, my life is so hard, I just don't have the energy to care about other people, but this is Paul's prayer is that God's love would abound not only that, but more in knowledge, and he's talking about knowledge of God, knowledge about knowing who God is, and and how God works and what God is like, and what God has promised, what God's going to do in the future and and you know how we're going to learn that is from this book We have a lifetime to be in this book and just to continue to know more and more about who God is and how He wants to work and what He has for me. More and more in knowledge and in depth of insight so that we are able to uh, understand more and deeper. And then the reason is in verse 10. This is why. We are to pray for love and knowledge so that you so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. So that we'll be able to discern what's right and wrong. So that we'll be able to discern what is good and evil. Sometimes Christ followers don't do a very good job of that. Sometimes they just sort of adopt and adapt what is cool without thinking about whether it's honoring God or dishonoring God. Um, But this discernment, the ability to separate out, the the ability to identify, this is God-honoring and I don't think this is worth my time. To be able to discern what is best, not just what's okay, but what is best. And to be pure, morally cleansed, clean, blameless for the day of Christ. What is the day of Christ? Thanks for asking. The day of Christ, the Apostle Paul makes a reference here uh, to this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And he he quotes a promise made by Jesus according to the Lord's word, Jesus' word, We tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord when Jesus returns, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. Some people will be alive when Jesus returns, alive in that whatever date that is, and I don't know when it is. And some people will already have died, and as we say, have gone to be with the Lord, but not resurrected yet. Verse 16, for the Lord himself will come down from heaven. It will be Jesus. It will be a personal return of Jesus. He will come down with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet call of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Believers who are already in the grave will rise. This is a resurrection of believers when Jesus returns. Sometimes we call this the rapture. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Jesus is going to come, and it says in the air, and we're going to be caught up to be with him forever. The day of Christ. Paul uses the day of Christ twice in in chapter one. The whole point is that knowing these things is to encourage us, it is to give us hope. Because who's going to win? Whose team are you on? Finally, the result of Paul's prayer. When God answers in verse 11, that we will be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. When our love abounds more and more, when we grow in our knowledge of who God is and how he works, when we grow in our discernment about good and evil, we will be filled with the fruit of righteousness, we will become more and more like the person and character of Jesus Christ. We will experience more and more of the righteousness of Christ. And this will honor God. It will bring praise and glory to Him. It will, bring, uh, it will enhance His reputation. It will magnify His name. And when that happens, people who don't know Jesus yet, are attracted to Jesus because they see God at work. They don't see us. They see God at work in us. In Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 through 11, we see how the apostle Paul rises above his circumstances. He is a prisoner in lockdown His freedom has been taken away, yet he does not seem to be under the pile or it even discouraged. I'm sure he got discouraged at times. But what we don't think about here is Paul's life leading up to this. This is around 61 AD. He already has experienced some pretty difficult circumstances. He's been beaten and flogged five times in public. Uh, He has been stoned to death and left for dead. He has been shipwrecked three times. That's not fun, I bet. Three times he was beaten with rods. He also carried some stress over the churches because some of the churches had some significant problems, and Paul was concerned about them. Paul prayed for them. He thought about them. And yet, it didn't weigh him down so that he could not function. His relationship with Christ helped him rise above the circumstances. How do you handle difficult circumstances? What do you do? What do you rely on when you are in pain, when you are struggling, when you are discouraged? Some people turn to comfort food to eat their way out of it. Some people self medicate with alcohol for comfort. One of the things we're seeing uh, recently in our culture, now this has been going on for years and years and years, but I've just, as an observer, I've just been watching. Science has become the new solution to our problems. And, and, and we see some uh, politicians even some medical doctors just to talk about the science as if the science is the new God and, and um, I know they're not using religious terms but the way it's used it's as if science is the final authority on life now science is good I'm all for science. God created our world, and it can be studied, and we can learn. But science just needs to come under the authority of Christ. Then it's really trustworthy. Today, um, we can rise above our circumstances. Uh, One of the ways that we can do that, and the way we can do it today, right now, is we can celebrate communion together it's about remembering his death Uh, he died for us he was the one who took the road to redemption and now we can respond and we need to respond um, with confession and thanksgiving and we are to be holy people god would call us holy people if we've placed our faith in christ and he's made a provision so that we can continue because life messes us up, we mess up we sometimes make poor choices, we sin but you know what? God has made a provision that we can get that all taken care of and that we can get, we can get cleaned up that's why it's when we come to communion, the, the apostle Paul writes but let a man or a woman examine themselves before before they share in this opportunity of communion now, what we're going to do today, we're going to do Sealed Communion again. We didn't hand it out to you today. And the Sealed Communion has both the cup and the bread, and you take off the, the, tops, the top layer, and the bread is there. And then after the bread, you take off the next layer, and then the, uh, the juice is available. So what we're going to do, I'm going to just pause and uh, take a time to, be, to reflect and be quiet before God. I'm going to thank the Lord for the bread and the cup and afterwards I'm going to invite you to come up to the front there are two areas right here that have sealed communion and you can just take the sealed communion back to your chair and you can take it any time okay after that let's just bow before uh, God right now our father we just uh, thank you for uh, the book of Philippians and the opportunity to start that study today as we are reminded um, about our need to rise above our circumstances, to not let the problems of life weigh us down, to not let sin have the win. So so God, we just pause before you and we stop and we reflect. and And may your Holy Spirit work in our lives May your Holy Spirit show us if there's anything that you would like us to confess to you as sin. Just to be open and honest before you and then to ask for your forgiveness. Let's do that right now. Just be open and honest with God. He knows your life and mine. And so, Father, I just want to give you praise as well as we think about your provision of forgiveness that we see in 1 John 1, 9, that if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us of all unrighteousness. And we know that if we've done our part today and confessed our sins, been honest with you, that you have forgiven us and we stand before you cleansed. We stand before you as holy people. We are saints. We are not sinners. Yes, we failed. But our identity is primarily to be a saint, to be a holy person. And now, God, I want to thank you uh, for the bread and the cup that are symbols of the body and blood of Jesus Christ, a body that was nailed and pierced on the cross A body that shed blood as a payment for our sin. Thank you that Jesus gave his all for us. May we seek to give ourselves back to you. Thank you for the bread and cup that reminds us of all these things. And now we share to do this in remembrance of you. For Jesus' name and for his sake, I pray. Amen.